You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. How was the Sith ideology of the rule of two created? We're going to find out today on our episode of the Darth Bane Trilogy for Systematic Geekology. We are the priests of the geeks. I'm your host, Christian Ashley. I am, of course, joined by the true Dark Lord of the Sith, the one who has been in the shadows this whole time, just biding his time, waiting for the right moment to lead the galaxy in his image. TJ Blackwell, how you doing, Darth TJ? Sidious. Oh, yes. Excellent. So, TJ, what have you been geeking out on recently? Final Fantasy. Which one? uh, Four, specifically. But I just completed four, 100%. So, uh, I was going to try to move on to 13, because that's one of my other favorites. Uh, 13-2, actually. But not available on the PlayStation Five, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go through seven. Okay. Uh, see, on my end, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going through the entire Pretty Cure series, which for those who don't know, it's a Magical Girl series uh, anime, and I'm having a lot of fun. I mean, yes, Pretty Cure Five or whatever the heck it's called now. <laughs> there's a lot of spinoffs. There's a lot of stuff all over the place. It, it's just good, wholesome fun for the most part. Uh, so I really enjoy that. But we're not here to talk about magical girls. We're here to talk about a magical man and his ability to change forever the trajectory of the galaxy based on his ideals. We are, of course, talking about Darth Bane, who some of you may know, some of you may not. He did appear in the Clone Wars or was it a sixth season or something like that for briefly. Yeah. Um, he's been in other media as well, of course. But uh, TJ, why don't we go book by book? Uh, you start. I'll do the second one. Then you'll do the third one. If there's anything we missed that we want to talk about, go ahead and bring that up. So why don't you explain what is this trilogy about, starting with the first book? So Darth Bane, Path of Destruction, the first book, uh, shows us not only Bane's backstory, how he got his name, how he was raised, all of it. Uh, Takes us through his upbringing with an abusive father and into his forced labor career as a, a minor of Cortosis. And uh, his fall to the dark side, I guess you would say. It's not really a fall, in my opinion. More like a gradual turn? Yeah. An inevitability? Yeah. The victim of his circumstances, really. Oh, yes. But it it takes us through his rise to power, meet his apprentice. Yes. You know, without getting real deep into it, that's pretty much what the first one's about. That's a good way to put it out. Uh, As far as uh, the second one, Rule of Two is about it starts after the end of path of destruction where bane and zana are getting off of ruzan and him going to figure out some stuff about himself uh how he how does he want to run this is zana worthy to be his apprentice as he goes to various uh to duxon to try and learn more about the oh gosh who was it on duxon uh was it oh freed nad yeah uh, his tomb to see if he can learn the secrets of that holocron to become a little bit more. He gets his orbalisk armor for the first time as Zana is trying to figure out her place in this. Does she actually believe in this? Like, do the Jedi believe that the Sith are still around? And we have an ultimate confrontation where a lot of really good plays are made to make it look like the Sith no longer exist. So uh, next up for the third one, TJ. Yeah. So the third one is Dynasty of Evil. And this I mean, you know, it's kind of like our classic curve. Uh, Zana, you know, gets the the craving for power that Darth Bane talked about. Darth Bane takes a, a second apprentice, uh, which breaks the rule. But, you know, whatever. 
Bane. That's cool. Um, and it, it shows us his fall. He fights, you know, one of my favorite fights personally in uh, Star Wars. It's just a shame that it's only in this book. Yes. But uh, him fighting the uh, group of Jedi that get sent to kill him is awesome. It's just absolutely. It's so good. But we do get to see. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, this is a, a recap of a trilogy that came out like 10 years ago. So, yes, um, we do get to see Zana take over Darth Bane. Darth Bane gets into the Sith sorceries. He unlocks the holocron. He gets his own holocron. It's just it's good. The other apprentice is an interesting character. If I, I felt a bit rushed, Darth Cognus. Yes. And uh, we do get we get to see him die. Or do we? There's the that's the rub. We'll talk about that later on. I'm more than sure. So, TJ, what was your introduction to the character himself of Darth Bane? How did you find out about him for the first time? Oh, I read the books. I read the books before uh, we even had cable TV. <laughs> okay. So, uh, were you big into like Legends at that point in time? Is that where like you, you first you knew these books were coming out, so you had to read them? No, so I was uh, at this at the point where I read these. Uh, I don't think I even. I think when I read them, the third one hadn't come out yet. But I wasn't like super early on the jump. Uh, I was just reading a lot of Star Wars books all the time because our library had most of the Legends books. Mm-hmm. So I was just reading them, and I was reading one. I might have been reading Tempest, and I was just looking at the timeline in uh, in the front of all the books, which is. Uh, all a great part of the Star Wars Legends books. I always love that timeline. It's so cool to see. Mm-hmm. And I just saw Darth Bane on there and I was like, that sounds good. I'll read that next. <laughs> and I did. Yeah, I think my the first time I heard about him would have been. I, no, I know I'd heard his name, but the first time I actually remember seeing him was in the legacy comics that they have. Uh, which takes place about, I think it's like 130 some years from the Battle of Yavin, where you know Jedi Order has been not wiped out, but they've been they've been raised, and uh, you get Darth Crate as the leader of the Sith Order, and he is going up against all these holocrons to try and glean knowledge from them, and Bane is one of the ones he tries to learn from. It's like, oh gosh, this guy looks cool. Who's he? So as time went on, explored more, and then the books came out. Like, okay, yes. I'm all about this life. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites for sure. He's I want to say he's like tied for first or second of my favorite Star Wars characters, depending on the day. Mm. Yeah, I don't know where I would rank him. He'd definitely be high up there. I mean, because my favorite is Jaina Solo. And I think, yeah, Kyle Katarn is like right underneath her and then Luke just to frustrate Josh. Yeah. But what? what, what go ahead. Uh, it's 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 Maul and Revan and Bane. All oh yeah, Revan would be up there too. All right. But, so what what is it about Bane that makes him so captivating as like a character in your opinion? I have no idea. <laughs> Fair enough. Like he he, he got it out the mud. Ahead. He was raised horribly. Yeah, the rest of his life is just him getting his revenge, pretty much. And it's not he's not. He doesn't do that thing where somebody's like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. He, he kind of is like, well, I'm going to prove my dad right. I'm going to be the bane of everybody's existence. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, it's just so 
amazing to see his his journey from this nobody, absolute nobody. No one would ever look at him twice outside of the fact that he's kind of tall and imposing. But then he goes to Sith Soldier. Then he goes to Sith Apprentice. Then he becomes a master in his own right and completely annihilates a Sith army without raising a finger, making them believe this is what they have to do, creating that thought bomb that kills them and also a bunch of Jedi, too. It's a brilliant uh, just his tactical mind, because he doesn't start off the books very tactically. <laughs> in fact, it's the exact opposite. He gets in brawls. He bites you know, people's fingers off and uh, gets in trouble with Republic soldiers. And yeah, to see that journey of him is like what really compels me to learn more about him. It's like this guy goes through a lot of growth, and I really appreciate that in the character. Yeah, a ton. It's it's just you get to see it so clearly. He starts off as nobody with nothing and then becomes one of the greatest Sith Lords of all time. Hmm. All right. Well, going into the trilogy proper, uh, what would you say would be your favorite out of all of them? My favorite, uh, probably Path of Two or Rule of Two. Rule of Two. Yeah, I mean, they're easy to mix up. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I love these books. I don't really like uh, the final confrontation between Bane and Xana. Mm-hmm. So the third one's probably my least favorite, but I, I think the second one might be my favorite. I, I think I would second the the third one being the worst. I mean, I, and that's the worst of like quality stuff. So it's not like, you know, it's like a three out of 10 or anything like that. It's just like comparatively speaking, it's not as good as the others. Yeah. But mine would actually be Path of Destruction because I love seeing his journey from this, once again, like we said before, this nobody to this Sith apprentice who seeks after this knowledge that no one else cares about because they have this uh, essentially a heresy in his eyes of uh, Sith sharing power. They're not being like one central leader. Like we're all equals, even though like everyone knows that's false unless you're really like into the belief. But and then just him like making up his own idea for how things should be run, learning from history, which is something they've failed to do tremendously. Okay, this doesn't work. Well, let me create this rule of two instead. Maybe it doesn't work, but it's better than what we did before. Yeah. So yeah, path of destruction. It's just one guy who's like, hmm, every Sith Empire ever has failed because all of the underlings wanted to be in charge. Interesting. Yes, but it's also like they didn't really earn it either in Bane's eyes because they did it in groups. Yep. And then inevitably that led to the Civil War, and that's why the new Sith Wars in the old legacy canon went from like 2000 BC, excuse me, BC, uh, BBY, which is before the Battle of Yavin, all the way to 1000 BBY until they were wiped out with that thought bomb. Because they would gain victory against the Jedi, gain victory, then suddenly one leader would get assassinated, and then they'd have a civil war again. The Republic and Jedi would regroup, and the the war would continue. Yeah, that's actually that's so. uh, The United States learned its lesson from Rome. You know, we saw what happened to Caesar, and we were like, okay, president, vice president. Yes. Yeah. Vice president's always trying to kill the president. That's what they don't tell you every time. Like Kamala's just waiting. Yeah, biding her time, biding her time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so anything more you want to say about that? Not really, not particularly. I love the world that it it establishes. I just, I love the Old Republic era a lot. And there's, Drew Carperson is a great writer. He's really good at 
like fleshing out a universe. 100%. This definitely adds a lot of depth to the galaxy, exploring these worlds, some of which we've never seen before. Uh, and just to fill it in with characters and creatures and alien species that obviously in a galaxy this big would exist and give them some substance. I really appreciate when writers do that. So out of these three books, and I know there's a lot of characters, but do you have a favorite amongst them besides Bane? Oh, besides Bane? I do like Xana as a character a lot. Okay. Yeah, what about her in particular? The Sith sorcery, like deciding to just get really into Sith sorcery instead of just using the force or being really good with a lightsaber. It's it's really interesting because no one else really does that. And like Sith sorcery is probably the least popular, like, I guess, combat style. Yes. I mean, especially with uh, old Legends canon, uh, Palpatine kind of focused more on the Sith sorcery side of things than lightsaber combat and stuff like that. So it's neat to see that, too, because you're right. It's very rare to see someone focus on that compared to the strength and power you get from overwhelming your opponents in physical combat. And that kind of like makes her a perfect foil, in a sense, for Bane and like how she seeks the, the dark side differently than him. So, yeah, I really appreciate her character, too. But for me, actually, mine's uh, not really a bit player because he, he's very important to the series, but it's actually Caleb, the healer. And I uh, really appreciate a, a very nuanced character like him who will treat anyone regardless because that's what he believes. Like, I am a healer. It is my job. Sith, Jedi, soldier, rebel, terrorist, what have you. Like, you come to me, you're going to be under the best care in the galaxy. And to see his will of, man, Bane took advantage of me one time by putting my daughter in trouble. I can't ever let this happen against the one time he broke his rule. And now to, to see her journey to later on of, you know, eventually rising to power as a princess on Doan and all this. But like that, that moment of you see this father who gives up everything in his life that he's ever held dear just to keep her safe. And it still doesn't work. It's a very tragic story. Yeah. Yeah, Caleb's story is good, and it's integral, because that's how we get Darth Cognus eventually. Yes. Uh, which, by the way, her ability of the Ikachi thing of, like, seeing memories, as, uh, for those of you playing Jedi Survivor right now, like, it's kind of that uh, psychometry, or psychometry, however heck you say it, of touching an object or being around an area, and, like, you can actually see the events of the past. I love that so much. It's a great way to introduce things that characters wouldn't be able to know. So that was a really great job by Capirchen in that regard. Yeah. All right. So all that being said, one of the things that is a major focus of this series and the way some of the things that Bane says and the way he teaches is that the Jedi Order is showing a ton of weakness and actually defending the people under their protection. Uh, whether that be kind of like in his own life, no one came, no Jedi came and said, hey, you know, you guys are oppressing these people. You've got this very obvious uh, scheme here to where people will never be able to pay off their debt. So you basically have wage slaves for the rest of your life. And that's horrible. No Jedi came and saved them there. Then you have uh, that was on a Patros. Then you have like their willingness to believe that the Sith were wiped out for all time in Rusan. Like they just wanted the war to be over that much. That even when rumors came up and you had qualified people saying, hey, like there's a Sith out there, they didn't follow it because, well, that would ruin the narrative of the Sith all being gone. 
And then finally you have like, when it comes to that Doan conflict, like they only really care about the Sith artifacts that were unearthed and not the miners that were being oppressed by their government. Once again, kind of a very cyclical thing. So like how valid do you think his criticisms are and how can we avoid doing the same in our own churches? Well, it's definitely valid criticisms. He's a smart guy. He's a product of the world. And that's what he's, you know, out to stop sort of. It's almost a noble goal for a Sith Lord. Uh, but as far as stopping or preventing that in our church, uh, that has to happen at like at the top level, just not taking advantage of people. It, it's not something you can just say like, hey, don't do that. Normally, it's something that was kind of ingrained as a policy or a system that just kind of isn't thought about anymore. And yeah. that's how those systems of oppression come into being. I agree with that assessment. I mean, not everyone listening is a leader in the church, but there are some who are. And one thing we always have to be careful of when we are leading in certain regards is to make sure that we're doing something for the benefit of others and not just our own glory, which <laughs> as a very prideful person is very hard for me to learn that lesson over and over again. I've had to be humbled many times in that regard. So thank God that he is God and I am not because I would have given up on me a long time ago. But yeah, this, that how, how do we prevent that from happening? Well, sometimes we can't. Uh, but we need to vouch uh, what we're searching for in our leaders. Let's see what, who they are as a person. Is there anything we should be worried about in regards to taking over control of things and not listening to someone else or just being too much of a micromanager? It makes everyone under them like feel oppressed, even though like in their minds, they think they're doing something good for the benefit of everyone. Like, how do we do things like that? It's hard. Uh, usually it takes a, a good close group of consultants basically you got to have people around you that you can trust to tell you when you're doing something that isn't right absolutely i mean when you look at i mean you just look in history in the bible of you start with moses and he had after a while after talking to his father-in-law jethro it's like hey you're taking on too much responsibility of your own here you're getting run thin you can't do that well leadership sometimes things slip through the cracks if you're taking care of everything and you just don't have all the time in the world for that. So you need people you can trust. You need a, a group of deacons or what have you uh, to not delegate, you know, so you don't care, but like delegate so like things can get done and no one gets hurt in that time. I mean, you look at, I mean, essentially with Moses and Joshua too, like Moses trained Joshua to be that leader. But then after Joshua, you know, uh, became leader, who does he have as his number two? We don't see one at least in the text. And then as a result, Israel loses its way. Yeah. So uh, as far as like the Jedi side of things is concerned, it's a very valid criticism in my uh, point of view in that. Well, number one, speaking of being stretched thin, uh, they just had an entire war that has decimated the order. And the fact that they are like just taking children as quickly as possible, the moment they sense any bit of force sensitivity, which is how Zana ends up on Ruzan to begin with. Like they're obviously they're stretched thin. And now in their minds, the one thing they don't want to do is continue a war that costs them a lot of really good people. So I get that mindset. It's not very healthy. It's not very helpful. And we do see Farfalla when he does finally have that information that, oh, there is an actual legit Sith Lord out there. Let's go do something about it. Like something gets done. But that took 10 years. Yeah. And think of all the people Bane and Zana screwed over in those 10 years that could have been done 
if they had believed the initial reports. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's not really a boy who cried wolf situation, uh, but it feels the same. It's like, oh no, you're wrong, clearly. We know more than you, actually. We killed the Sith. No, you didn't. Yeah. You killed a, a healer's son, or cousin, I, I forget. Uh, some familial relation. But maybe trust your people. Well, in, into like there's a call in the church to look after the the oppressed, to look after the afflicted. And the Jedi Order is one of their jobs is to do that in this series. Uh, well, in Star Wars as a whole, but there's not that many of them. They can't go everywhere. And like, well, there's that very idealistic notion of we should be able to inflict uh, change on the world because it's the right thing to do. It's like, yes, that's absolutely the right thing to do. They should be able to go to Apatros or Doan and say, hey, you are treating these people unfairly. Look at the conditions they're under. Like money is not better than the lives being affected here. And, you know, regulations need to be changed and stuff like that. Well, I'm sure the Jedi are doing that, but they can't be everywhere at once. And even then, once again, they can't focus on these matters at the time because there's a huge war going on. And that's not fair. That's not fun. But it's reality. And same thing, like the church can get spread too thin for its own good. It's like, focus on what you can see around you. Uh, definitely continue sending out missionaries, stuff like that, and see if you can uh, have change happen that way. But th there's a reason Jesus says, start in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then the ends of the earth, because one is more doable than the other two. All right. So, I mean, with all this going on, and we got three books to go through. Do you have like a favorite, like a favorite scene you really want to go into? Like that this this is why I fell in love with these books. So back then I didn't have to be in love with a book to finish it. I just read it. So I didn't need that moment to get through. Uh, but the moment where I decided that like this is it, this is the the pinnacle of Star Wars legends. I read this before I read Revan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh was when he was fighting the Jedi Masters in book three. On Tython? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh wait. On book three? Yeah, that's book two. Yeah. But man. Yeah. That's it's just an incredible scene. I love it. Because we get some really interesting like we meet these some of these characters very briefly, but they leave an impact, like the Achani uh Jedi who focus solely on saber combat to the extent of not using the force. So she needs someone to back her up who can put a protective force bubble over her in the fight. Uh, but she's just that great to the point where she is beating him back. The only reason he is not losing as much as he could have in this moment is because of that orbalisk armor that's like eating him inside uh, that very parasitic relationship. And then you get Farfalla who is a little more nuanced than how he used the force going on against her, excuse me, against Bane while Zana is fighting off some of the other Jedi but we also get that Authorian Jedi who is there to like use battle meditation, which is one of the yeah. best things ever created in Star Wars is that idea. Um, essentially, uh, that was, goodness gracious, Zahn with uh, Joru Sabaoth, Sabaoth, or however the heck you say it, in the Thrawn trilogy. It's like, oh my gosh, that's such a cool ability to affect the soldiers, the people under your command to like have them react before they normally would be able to, or to like a fight a lot better. And yet he is doing this completely helpless if no one is there to protect him. And that proves to be their undoing. Yeah. He has to, he has to drop the battle meditation to uh, save 
I think the Achani. I think that's right. And uh, in that instant that he drops his battle meditation, just as long as it takes to force push somebody out of the way, uh, Xana immediately casts like a spell of insanity and he snaps and she kills him instantly. And then she goes invisible because she's doing Sith sorcery and she kills him. It's, it's a great fight scene until then. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, oh, Confucianism. So, yeah. Sorry. A, a really great job in his action scenes. Like uh, even his non lightsaber action scenes, you get the very beginning with uh, Dessel, which is Darth Bane's real name. I don't think we mentioned that yet. Uh, when he's part of the gloom walkers and the, the actions he takes, the, the tactics that are used, like, you don't always see tactics being used in stories. It's like, well, war is happening and we're going to fight a battle and you just have to accept it. Like, no, he cares about those things. The logistics of moving troops at a certain part of the day instead of a different time. Like when one time they could get slaughtered for being seen, the other time they can be more hidden. It's like, oh my gosh, this is really well done. And of course, uh, this is not my scene, but I like the duel between Bane and Kasim as well. The, uh, what was it, the Twi'lek uh, master who fights with the double-bladed lightsaber then reveals he fights with two blades as well. That's what he's been hiding from Bane this whole time. It's like, yeah, I'm not teaching you everything, boy. That That's a really fun one. But I would go my scene is when Bane goes on Rusan for the first time. And he's in the council. Like, he's introduced himself as Darth Bane, obviously, like, flouting the fact he killed Kasim. Uh, like, he is there, and what are they going to do about it? And then he starts mocking Lord Khan in front of everyone for his plans and his strategies and starts planting the seeds for that thought bomb after he had already uh, sent that message, I think, through Githany a while back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's such a powerful play because like, obviously, if it's a straight on fight, he's going to lose against all those people gathered against him. I mean, he's just a wear out after a certain point in time, but he just has the gumption to screw with them. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, he's he's nothing if not ballsy. Oh, absolutely. He knows he's strong. So and once again, it's just like using what he knows of their character against them. So it's like, oh, we are all equals among the Sith. Yeah, I'm calling myself Darth Bane, but I'm still a part of the Brotherhood, of course. And uh, to openly go against me right now, well, that makes you look bad and not me. And just plant, just planting those seeds of discord that, oh, just use this thought bomb. Don't worry about the implications of if it, you know, falls back on you and you all get wiped out. But just like, here, here's this gift I've given you. Like, I learned this. I was so wrong to ever leave. It's such a very Sith thing to do, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, he really embodies what I think is like the perfect Sith. Like he's he's well-versed in everything except for sorcery, and even sorcery, he knows more than most. Yes. Which is any at all, but still. And I think it also, I really like him in the fact that as someone who really likes to research things, I mean, assuming my morals are off, I'm a Sith in that situation, that's exactly what I would have done gone to the archives and say, okay, well, what happened before? How do we think about this now? How do I apply some of the lessons I've learned from how people screwed them up in the past or succeeded at? It's like, I really appreciate that tactical part of himself that he learns that he's capable of along the way. Cause like the Dessa we see at the beginning is not the same Bane we see at the end of the first book or even at the end of the series. No, the, the Dessa was, was only alive because he had, he was a big guy and he had the force. Yes. Uh, pretty much. 
So uh, personally, I've always had an issue with villain protagonists because after a while, some writers are really good at, you know, making them like, hey, this is still the bad guy. And then other writers will say, no, actually, they're, they're the good guy in this situation. They're just doing bad things. And I think for sure, Capetian does not feel the latter. I think he for sure is that person is like Bane is an evil man doing evil things. It makes sense in his own mind why he's doing those things. That's why he's so interesting. But he's still at the end of the day, he's a Sith. Like, how do you feel about how like villain protagonists are handled within Star Wars and, and other media as well, if you would like? Uh, within Star Wars, we have some great examples. Two notably, at least off the top of my head are like tip of the ice or bottom of the iceberg, like the the good Star Wars content, like the best stuff in the franchise. Revan and Bane. Mm. And Revan's kind of like, well, he's trying to do the good thing, but he's doing evil things to do the good thing. And then he loses his way. But this isn't a Revan episode. No. And uh, when it's handled really well, I think people like to cheer for a good villain. I like to cheer for a good villain, even if they're not, you know, the protagonist of the story, like Darth Maul. I love to see Darth Maul succeed. It was great when he became a deuteragonist and, you know, the final season of the Clone Wars. Yes. And uh, I think Carpshin does it really well, extremely well. I'd second all that. Because once again, he doesn't lose sight of it. I think, uh, in my opinion, I'm going to make some people upset. Breaking Bad after a bit. I don't think all the writers felt this way, but I felt some did. That Walter White was a good man and he just had to do these terrible things. It's like, no, from the very beginning, he was uh, entitled. He was prideful. And as a result, a lot of people were hooked on drugs and died. It's like. I do not ever think Walter White was a good man in the series. Not, not that he didn't do good things. Not that he didn't look after people every now and then. But it just annoys me when people go, oh, well, he's the hero. It's like, no, that's not that's not what the word protagonist means. This is a tale of caution. <laughs> and I think uh, when I get to my recommendation, I'm actually only going to do like the first four seasons of it because uh, Dexter, uh, kind of the same thing. It's like, you get that sense of, yeah, okay, he's killing serial killers. Like, that's a good thing. But he's doing it because he has this desire to kill people. That's not good. It's noble so, in the least. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, sure, less people would die as a result. But also it cost a life in order to do that instead of them getting their due time in court, which, you know, we can go to that, the, the Punisher kind of angle of things. But, um, but yeah, it just annoys me when people don't handle this well. And one thing that I never felt the, throughout this entire trilogy is that Capirchen wanted Bane to be someone we liked for being an actual good guy. Yeah, it's just not the case. A tragic character? Sure. The good guy? Never. Not once. Absolutely not. He was always doing something off kilter. Yeah, even, even in moments where like he is... To an extent, he's kind of soft on Zana sometimes, even when he's being cruel, because he does care about her. That humanizes him a little bit, but it's all for the purposes of continuing the rule of two. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anything else for that? I'm good. Okay. So in light of that, we kind of mentioned earlier, it kind of leaves on a bit of a, not necessarily like cliffhanger, but like a, a moment of, is this actually happening? 
where Zana wins the fight, the final duel against Bane. But earlier in the book, he had uh, sought after the holocron of Darth Anadu and found a way where he could possibly transfer his spirit inside of someone else's body. And there's a moment where she kind of uses that hand gesture. He does, if I remember correctly. And you go, wait, is Zana in control or Bane in control? So if this series had become a tetralogy, and not a quadrology like I thought it was before I researched this. Uh, what would you have liked to have seen happen? Yeah. So uh, for the fourth book, I, big fan of Darth Bane, big Darth Bane Homer. I kind of agree with Darth Bane's uh, philosophy, motivation for looking okay. for that holocron to transfer his spirit into another body. Because I don't think Zana is strong enough to do it. I don't think she's strong enough to be the Dark Lord of the Sith. She won the duel, so, you know, whatever. She wouldn't have <laughs> if he didn't, get you know, get the Orbalisk poison from that fight on Tython. But that's beside the point. That's making up my own reasons. Yes. Uh, what I would have wanted back then was, would have been to see that Darth Bane is now in Zana's body and trying to learn how to, you know, keep going on with what he was doing in a completely different body with a completely different skill set. Mm. So now I've spoken before how much I hate ambiguity <laughs> on the show. And the fact that we don't know who's in charge irks me. So what I would like to have happened is that Bane left just enough of himself kind of, uh, for my Spider-Man fans out there when, uh, Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus, took over Peter Parker's body. There was just enough of Peter still left there for him to eventually take control in the Superior Spider-Man series. Like, this sense of Zana is in control, but she starts feeling Bane's voice or his presence or something like that. And eventually she realizes, oh no, he's still essentially alive as this kind of forced spirit thing, and he's looking to take over my body. Let's have him like over certain portions of this novel, take control away from her, do what he would have done instead. But then at the very end, she proved that she had the right to be the dark Lord of the Sith by beating him in this manner, showing that she had beaten him not only physically, but mentally and spiritually as well. Yeah. Uh, I personally, I do think that Bane just, it didn't work and Bane just lost. <laughs> I do think Zana's in control, but that's, Partially because Cognus was there, and I think Cognus interfered, kind of clouded Bane's ability to use the Force to his fullest capacity. Yes. That's whatever. I just want to know that if he had the chance to do it again, would he go back and get the Orbalisk armor again on Zana's body? Mm. I would. Could, yeah. I mean, you think with her being able to use Sith sorcery, maybe there's some way that the drawbacks wouldn't be as bad compared to him when he was uh, infected with the parasites because they were so useful to protect him while at the same time he was under constant pain. They were constantly feeding off of his dark side energy. So like yeah. they're, they're pros and cons, but like, would she be able to do it better than him? Maybe possibly, but it also helped that he was big and strong. She was not. That. Yes. Very true. Yeah. Uh, physically uh, there's a big difference between the two, but on the fourth side of things, I don't know if she may have an edge in that regard. It all depends like because she may even be able to make friends with the parasites like uh luke in some legend stuff has done this before uh he i think it was trusa bakura had like a parasite or something inside of him and he like he contacted it in the force and like hey buddy like 
this is bad. Be my friend. <laughs> it's a little more nuanced than that. But it, it, there is precedence for something like this happening. Yeah. Anything else you would like to see in a particular tetralogy? Not necessarily. I'm, you know, not one thing in particular, at least. I would watch Darth Bane do anything. Fair enough. I would like to see how Cognus is as an apprentice. I would like to see how Zana would train her. Like, what did she learn from Bane? How would she do things differently from him? Right. Learning Zana's actual ambitions aside from just kill Bane. That'd, that'd be, be good. Fun. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to discuss before we wrap things up here? Yeah. Darth Bane has the coolest character design I've ever seen in Star Wars, in my opinion. Um, I'm not talking about the comic books. I think it looks kind of chunky and weird. Uh, but just <laughs> theoretically, like covered in snail armor, cage helmet, which I feel like a lot of artists leave out of the, when they do Darth Bane. It's like he has to wear a, a helmet, a cage helmet on his head or the, the snails will crawl over it in his sleep. And like, sure, he can take it off during the day, but it's there. And his lightsaber was hooked like Count Dooku's, they also usually ignore that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's a great design for a lightsaber. Oh, I see. Uh, obviously, this being a audio medium, none of you can see what I see, but that is indeed hooked. So do you have anything else you'd like to add before we discuss? Uh, excuse me, before we wrap things up? Uh, as far as Bane is concerned, that's it. Uh, that isn't just rambling. Fair enough. All right. So how would you rate and review a uh, series as a whole and individual books? Oh, as a whole, the series is nine and a half, probably. Uh, The first one is easily nine and a half. The second one, probably like 9.75. What's so frustrating? And the third one, I'm just going to get a nine from me. Okay. Uh, I I would give the series as a whole a nine five. And so same as you in that regard, if I remember correctly for what you just said. Uh, Then I would give the first book a 10. Like it, it draws me in. I'm there for it. I want to see his journey from nobody to Sith Lord. Yes, please. Uh, the second book I'll give, I'll give it a nine, maybe a nine, five if I'm feeling particularly generous. And the last book I'll give about an eight. Harsh. So I don't think that works number wise, but you know what? I don't care about any of that. I'm going to give the numbers I want. So thank you all for listening yeah. to this special episode. If there's any other Star Wars content you'd like us to talk about, let us know. We'd be more than happy to. Chances are, unless it's the Old Republic, uh, TG and I will know about it. And I'm sure there are other people who've experienced other parts of the Star Wars old Legends canon. I'm not familiar with the newer stuff as book-wise, so I apologize for that. But I will be able – I will read something for you if you want me to. They're but, yeah, okay. That's good to hear. Uh, so what is your recommendation, final recommendation for the audience? Final recommendation, a little book called Star Wars, Darth Bane. Path of Destruction by Drew Carpenter. Ah, I see. Well, if you haven't heard that before, that's what you should read. That's a good recommendation. Uh, I will say, like I mentioned earlier, my recommendation is the first four seasons of Dexter. It's not a perfect show. There's a lot of stuff, especially as time goes on, where he gets they lose sight of the fact that he's supposed to be a bad guy. And that's why I say one through four instead of five through eight. Not to say, or nine or whatever heck it went. Not to say that those aren't, there isn't anything good in those seasons. It's just not as good as the beginning. 
So, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have a moment, please just give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice just to help us reach more people that way. It's extremely helpful for us. Uh, You can also head over to our YouTube. We're doing a lot of new series there. Some of our Patreon-exclusive stuff, like Drinks with Tejas, are now moving over to YouTube. So if you want to hear TJ talk about uh, the the drinks that one of our hosts or one of our guests is really into, that's the place to go. Uh, also as well check out our discord to just have more conversations with us especially if you have episode topic ideas we'd love to hear your feedback there Uh, remember we are all a chosen people a geekdom of priests This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.